You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. There's instructions in the bulletin um, about how to access those anytime you miss as well. So even if you don't have time right away to listen to the podcast, there's ways for you to kind of read through the notes and to get a great idea of what we've been talking about. Okay? Um, after we talked about the introduction, we talked about Revelation 1. Uh, 1 through 8. Is there somebody that want to look up Revelation 1, 1 through 8 and read that for us? We're going to try to read back through everything that we've covered in Revelation. So if you want to have your Bibles handy, but is there somebody that would like to read Revelation 1, 1 through 8? Wouldn't mind doing that. Tiffany, you can go ahead and read it when you've got it. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear, and who keep what is written in it for the time of the year. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. All right, so we had said uh, in introducing Revelation here in chapter 1 that Revelation is meant to bring great blessing to the church in the midst of persecution, deception, and temptation as we focus our eyes on Jesus who removes our greatest fears. And so right off the bat, uh, John makes it clear who who the main topic of this book is. It's Jesus Christ. And we talked about that there's clarity in what John says he plans to write, that sometimes we approach Revelation thinking this is going to be super hard to understand, that we're going to have so many questions that don't get answered, and yet John tells us right off the bat that the plan is to reveal information, to reveal knowledge, to reveal items that give us hope and encouragement, um, that it's meant to bless us, but it's also meant to give us a, a urgency to how we live our life. Um, the application point from this week was Uh, That Revelation is made up of two teams leaving us with a decision, who will we serve? That um, ultimately there's the world and there's Christ and those that follow him, and they're in opposition to each other throughout this book. And the big question being, um, who will we serve? Who will we uh, give our allegiance to? We took two weeks to talk about whether there's a rapture or not. Um, And I told you guys, no matter where we stand, uh, it's important for us to understand that we have a strong need to understand as much as we can about the return of Jesus so that we can faithfully receive the encouragement meant for us as believers and so we can accurately warn unbelievers of their coming judgment. That There's a great need for us to know as much as we can about the return of Jesus and how that plays out, how that works out, so that we can be encouraged and so we can extend encouragement to others. And so that's where I want us to kind of pause for a second with two application questions and and to get some discussion and feedback from you guys. Number one, can you explain why our church doesn't believe in a rapture? And I say our church meaning me and the way that we're approaching Revelation. So we've got people in our church 
that maybe do believe in a rapture, but why we are taking the approach as a church in our study of Revelation, why we don't believe in a rapture, and then can you explain what you believe about Jesus' return to others? Can anybody help remind those that maybe weren't here that week or maybe those that have forgotten um, why we are approaching this as a non-rapture view in Revelation? What, what were some of the reasons that I gave you that I believe that there's not a rapture in the traditional sense that you hear uh, the rapture being discussed? The church of Israel is not separate. Okay, yeah, so one of the big reasons is that I don't believe that the church in Israel are separate in their um, future and in the promises that God extends to them. Um, I think the New Testament teaches us that the Gentiles have been grafted in to the nation of Israel, that they've been grafted into the people of God, they've been grafted into those promises, and the hope and the future of what Israel looks forward to, we as Christians have that same hope. All right, other thoughts on why I said that we were going to approach this uh, from a uh, non-rapture perspective. Or else think of reasons that we talked about. And this is important because if you're having discussions with somebody, you need to be able to draw upon this. Like, have you worked this out in Scripture for yourself to be able to dialogue with somebody and encourage somebody about the future uh, in regards to a rapture or not a non-rapture? Okay, there was there was maybe a lack of supporting Scripture in some aspects. Okay, yeah, we talked about the, the passages that talk about Jesus coming back. It seems to all happen at the same time, right? Like there seems to be um, passages that talk about the same events, sometimes from different perspectives, but that there's not, uh, there's not great scripture that talks about big gaps in some of the things that we think about when Jesus comes back. That, that, that scripture talks about when Jesus comes back, it puts an end to death, that there's resurrections, that people now live forever, uh, that Jesus ushers in eternity, that those passages all seem to kind of fit together as one uh, simultaneous event. And there was one other reason that we talked about why we're going to approach Revelation from a non-rapture perspective. Does anybody remember that one? Church and Israel are the same. Passages about Jesus coming back all seem to say, or all seem to be simultaneous. What do we typically think about when we think about a rapture. What what do people that are in that perspective, in that view, what are people that are raptured avoiding? Tribulation. Tribulation and suffering, right? And so the third reason that we said we're approaching this from a non-rapture perspective is that the New Testament especially really seems to teach more about Christians enduring and persevering tribulation versus escaping it. Hopefully you've seen that already in the first three churches that we've talked about, right? All three churches have been enduring some level of persecution, some level of attack. Each one is being encouraged to persevere, to endure, to not give in. Um, they've all been under attack in some form or fashion, and they've all had this expectation to, to get through it, even if it means their death, right? There's been no communication, no hope given to these churches that, hey, Make it through this and be thankful that you're not going to be here for when it's even worse because you'll be out of here. There's been no interaction, no communication from Jesus that they have any hope of escape from coming tribulation, right? It's always been, it's coming, get ready for it, and be prepared to endure even to your death as some of of you have already experienced, right? Last week we saw 
that one of their church members had already experienced death. Okay? So we won't have discussion on the second one, but I just want to pause for just a second and, and have you reflect. Can you explain what you believe about Jesus' return to others? If you were to get into a dialogue, into a conversation with somebody um, at your workplace, in your family, uh, your neighbor, someone finds out that we're studying the book of Revelation and they start to ask some questions about Jesus coming back, would you be able to dialogue with them about it? Would you be able to discuss it? Um, and if not, are you taking steps to ensure that you will be able to at some point soon? Are you taking any steps to ensure that you'll be able to have that type of discussion at some point? And here, it's not about having the ability to talk theologically with somebody, because I know some of you maybe don't get into those discussions often, and so you're thinking, okay, this is, this is never really going to come up. It's not about sitting at, some, at the lunch table with somebody and just talking hypothetically about theology. It's about being able to offer real hope and encouragement to someone who's in the midst of death, who is facing death, who's experienced death from a loved one. It's being able to talk, take the theology from way up here in this lofty thinking and be able to bring it down to an applicable situation that you may be going through or someone else in your life may be going through. Um, several of you had asked about commentaries that I'm using as we work through this, and I didn't share much information up front because I had far more that I was working through in the beginning than what I intended to keep working through. And so I've eliminated some that I don't plan to use. And I did want to share with you probably the three that I'm enjoying the most. If you wanted to purchase these and kind of study along as we work through the book of Revelation. The first one um, is a condensed version of an even bigger revelation written by this guy, G.K. Beale. Um, it's called Revelation, a shorter commentary. Um, it's available on Amazon. All three of these are available on Amazon. Um, it's, it's, it's one of the most well-respected commentaries out there in regards to Revelation. Second one is The Triumph of the Lamb uh, by Dennis Johnson. Um, is another one that I found really helpful. And then uh, this comes from a series of commentaries that's edited by uh, Danny, Danny Aiken, who's within the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, David Platt and others contribute to this one. Uh, but this one's just called Christ-Centered Exposition is the series, and then um, it's on Revelation. And what I love about this commentary is it kind of approaches the text similar to how I do when I try to teach. It has like a summary sentence for the passage, and then it kind of outlines the passage before it really gets into teaching on the passage. And so um, it's really helpful. If you were only to get one or two, then I would go with the first one on the left and then the last one, um, but the middle one's super helpful as well. But um, I know some of you had asked, and I tried to follow up with some of y'all and share that had asked, but in case anyone else was wondering and wanted some additional resources for your own personal study, then these three are, are, are really helpful too. We got into uh, Revelation uh, 9 through 20 next. Would somebody like to read those verses for us? Revelation chapter 9, or chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. I want to read that for us. Yeah, okay. I, John, your brother, and partner in the tribulation, in the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum and to and to yep. Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Laodicea. 
Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like a sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Right off the bat, John's talking about um, suffering and how he's had to endure suffering. His even current context is related to his suffering and his persecution as he's been imprisoned, separated from churches that he was working with, separating from believers. He's isolated on this island of Patmos where he writes this book. He sees this vision, and he begins to relay this picture of Jesus. And so our summary sentence that week, in the midst of suffering and hardship— the church can look to the risen Savior and receive encouragement to persevere in worship by seeing him as one who conquers all of our greatest fears. Um, and it's this idea that we approach the future as family. John uh, dialogues with these churches as he writes and talks about the brotherhood that's experienced because of our response to the gospel. We approach the future with a hero. So before we ever got into the book of Revelation, and really we're still kind of on the outside looking into the stuff that potentially really confuses us. When I ask my pastor friends for help in studying Revelation, most of them have told me I've never gotten past the seven churches. Like that's where I always stop and then we go somewhere else because it's kind of perceived that it's easy to study the seven churches, that it's it's more clear and more direct. And so a lot of people have never gotten past the seven churches in their own personal study. And so before we even get there, John's real clear to show us this beautiful picture of Jesus as our great hero that Whatever we see in the book, we don't have to fear because he's conquered all of our greatest fears. Uh, he's conquered death. He's conquered Hades, the afterlife, and the uncertainty of that. And we approach it with victory, right? That, that Jesus is the risen lamb, that he's overcome death. He's overcome all of our fears. And so whatever we face, we know that on the, uh, on the other side, we're going to be all the better for it. That, that the end of Revelation gives us this, this glimpse of what eternity looks like. And as believers, we have much to look forward to. Our application was if you have not submitted to King Jesus, you have great reason to fear that he's the scariest figure in the book. Um, and if you're not on his side, then you have much reason to fear and that there's a call to repent and to trust him today. And then number two, the greatest, most powerful being in existence is our friend, um, that he has all the power. He has all the authority. And as believers, we enjoy a unique relationship with Jesus as our friend. And we can be encouraged in that even if it leads to our death. So that was our, our chapter one intro to the book of Revelation, uh, heavily focused on Jesus. And then we got into the different churches, uh, the first being the church at Ephesus. Who would like to read for us Revelation 2, 1 through 7? To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven gold lampstands. 
I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This church, we said, um, gives us this message that if we're to maintain a meaningful presence in our community, then we have to be diligent in our doctrinal purity and persistent in our love for God and each other. So what did we say the strength of this church was? What are they doing well? What does is, what is Jesus commend them for? Their purity of doctrine, right? Like they've, they've become very good at teaching and building people up in their church in doctrinal purity. Their, their, their people are theologians, basically. Like the, the, the members of this church knew the word, understood the word. They had been able to really comprehend some of the important doctrines. And they had been able to identify others that didn't hold to those doctrines. Those doctrines that are meant to unify us, uh, those people came in and tried to distort that, tried to teach against that, and this church had identified those people and had been able to keep them at bay. They weren't letting them into their congregation. It even references the Nicolaitans who were not being uh, held at bay by the church at Smyrna, or uh, the church at um, um, Pergamum. Pergamum had let these people in, and they were perverting the church from the inside. Right? But Ephesus had done a great job of keeping people at bay that would harm the church. They were calling out false teachers. They were leading people into truth. But the, the thing that was against them is that they had abandoned their first love. They had abandoned the correct motivation for much of what they were doing. Um, there's a real call to action here, to remember and to repent of these actions. Not just to feel like, okay, there's definitely some things that I should be doing better, or yeah, I've kind of had a a complaining spirit or a grumbling spirit about that. I need to start doing better. But a genuine brokenness and repentance over the idea that, man, I've been going through the motions on some of this stuff and have not really been bringing an attitude of love to the table. And Jesus says, if it doesn't get fixed, right? Like it's not just something flippant. Hey, if you guys want to start doing some of these things out of love next week, and if you don't want to, that's fine too because it's not that big of a deal. Right? Like Jesus says, if you don't start doing this out of love, I'm going to come take your church away. I'm going to come remove your church from the community. And it's probably more of a passive thing than an active thing that Jesus has to do because ultimately, if people aren't doing things out of love, they're just going to stop doing those things. People that quit coming to Sunday morning church with a motivation of love for the people that they're going to see on Sunday morning, they eventually stop coming to church at all. Right? Like as I was getting ready uh, this morning and studying it, uh, McDonald's, and then even when I went to Publix to pick up our food for this morning, the drinks and stuff, boats are just coming in and out of the gas station and the grocery store because people are headed to the lake for the day, right? Maybe they used to go to church. Maybe they've never gone to church. But I, I know people who used to go to church, used to be in leadership at church that don't really go anymore, and they spend their time doing other things on Sunday mornings. And I have to think that at some point along the way, they quit going to church because they loved the people that they saw each Sunday. They loved the Jesus they were going to worship. And they said, you know what? Like, there's better ways to spend my time. And they, they abandoned 
their church. Right? And if enough people within the church do that, there's just not a church anymore to meet. Um, so from an application standpoint, um, we talked about examining our doctrine and our actions to make sure there's, there's purity and love. I asked you guys the question, do people in our church feel loved because of your specific actions within this church? That was from the sermon. Today I want us to reflect especially on these three questions, and I want to get some feedback from you guys. First of all, what are areas of service within our church that we must guard against losing our love for doing? What are some things within our church structure, within our church community, that if we're not careful, maybe we keep doing them, but maybe it's not from an attitude and a motivation of love, and we need to guard against that? What are some things that we could potentially lose our love for doing? That you can think of within our church. Okay, we talked about, um, Jordan mentioned this, and we talked about it during the week we talked on Ephesus, the, um, the attitude that we have of serving uh, within our kids' ministries, within the nursery, within our kids' classes, um, that it's easy to lose an attitude of love for doing those things, and we're doing those things simply because we see our name on a schedule, and... We begrudgingly show up to do that. And I challenge you that one of the most loving things you can do in this church, one of the most loving things you can do in our church based on the amount of kids that we have is to, is to serve within our kids' ministry and to do it out of, out of, out of, out of an attitude of love. Um, it, it's, it's real easy. And, and one of the ways that you demonstrate that you're doing it out of love is that you intentionally schedule yourself to be here on the weeks that you're supposed to serve in nursery. Because it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very difficult thing for Sarah, who works so tirelessly on the schedule to try to plan in advance how to spread everybody out. We've had meetings as elders that we want there to be real intentionality given to the schedule so that people aren't missing back-to-back -back weeks of being in here and, and hearing the word preached. And so Sarah tries to spread everything out. She tries to factor in the music schedule of when Tyson wants to use people in here to, to serve in the, the worship uh, of the singing. And so she gets all that laid out, and then there's people that can't be here. And, and obviously things come up, but one of the most loving things that you can do is to serve within the ministry. And then the way that you can demonstrate that love is to be very intentional about being here when you're scheduled so that somebody else doesn't have to fit in there for you. Um, that's, that's a huge way for us to serve here. And, and I told you that by being in there, you're allowing somebody else to be in here to be fed the word. And then we trade off and somebody else takes your spot and then you're able to come in here and feast on the word as well. What are some other areas in our church that if we're not careful, we lose our love for doing those things. We start to do them out of obligation and then eventually we just stop doing them at all. All right, as a church serving within the community. Um, and we've had different ways of doing that. And we, we brought in uh, the Coweta Pregnancy Service ladies uh, a couple of weeks ago just to remind you of how important that ministry is and ways that we can be involved. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a great way to show them how much we love what they're doing and the sacrifices they make by us faithfully giving uh, at times where we're able to give to that ministry. Um, there's, there's ways for us to be involved with their Run for Life, uh, the fundraiser gala that's coming up, uh, the baby bottles that we've done in the past, different ways that we can serve in that capacity. Uh, Jordan posts the diaper drops faithfully every other month for us to be involved in. That's just a matter of picking up a couple of extra items at the grocery store on those weeks. 
But sometimes it means really being intentional to factor that in into your to-do list so that you even remember to do that. Um, Cortland does a great job of posting our um, collections for the I-58 ministry and how we can serve people in this community uh, through Karma and what uh, her husband and, and she have been able to do through that mission. Um, another thing that, that maybe when we first started off as a church, we never had problems getting people to sign up for the Sonoy events where we serve and do the trash, right? Like, I mean, we just had a plethora of people that would prioritize and sign up. And, and now that we're into year five, probably, of doing it, um, there's a handful of us that have to pick up extra shifts because we just don't have the same, the same desire for people to be there. And I get it. Like, it's, it, it's hard. Oftentimes, we're giving up a, a time where we could be doing something far more fun. Uh, but it's a great way to come alongside people in our church and serve alongside of them. Oftentimes, you're serving with somebody that maybe you don't need to talk with as much, maybe somebody that's not in your C group, somebody that's not in your accountability group. But I can't, I can't tell you enough how thankful the people in our community are for what we do. And, and Dave can attest to it even more so than I can now because Dave goes to the Thursday night meetings for us. And he helps coordinate what we're going to do at these events. And he assures the ladies that he's going to have people there. Dave, uh, all of last year, and he'll continue this year, has been, has been there for the entire day. Like we told Dave, we said, as elders, this is something that we want to pass off because previously we as elders, we would be there like all day and make sure that people showed up for their shifts and got where they needed to go. And last year we asked Dave if he'd be willing to do it, and Dave jumped on board, and, and he goes to the meetings now, and he stays all day long to make sure you know where to go and to make sure you have the information that you need. But we're coming up on Memorial Day once again, and, and this is a great way for us to serve within the community. I mean, it's a great way for us to, to get very little attention as a church, um, to sacrifice some of our own self-interest, and to give back to an event that, that brings a lot of our people in our community together. Um, and, it, and it does give us more opportunities to serve the more faithful that we are. Um, I, I'm going to have the, the privilege of being able to pray and list off the names of the veterans this year before the event gets started. Um, that's partly a result of all of our faithfulness in serving, that they say, you know what, we want you to do this this year. We want you to be the one that, that prays over this service and acknowledges some of the veterans that we want to remember from Sonoy. So there, there's fruit, and it may not be giant fruit that, that maybe you would get from a big evangelistic event that we might could do, uh, but we're making an impact on the people that organize these events. Um, and so I encourage you to be involved in, in serving within our community, whether it's through I-58, how we do pregnancy services, or even just the Sonoy events that we do. What are some other things that you can think of maybe that would become uh, an issue that we might start to lose our love for? Um, I think being present at accountability groups and speed groups, uh, which I think most typically come from the service, but, but I think we all serve in each other and we serve in each other. Yeah. Um, prioritizing being there when your accountability group's meeting working your schedule to where that's that's a possibility for you to be there, not just for what you can get from it, but what you can give towards it as well. Um, same would go with the C group uh, opportunities each month. Um, but then also just all the other events that we do, the men's dinners, the women's dinners, and we've set it up to where you're not expected to come to all of these things, right? But our goal is that you're coming to many of these things throughout the month so that one, you receive the fellowship and encouragement that you need, but also that you're coming prepared to give the love and the fellowship and the encouragement that other people need. And if, that's, if you're not doing those things out of love, 
then you're probably wasting your time because you're showing up and you're probably not much of an encouragement to anybody and you're probably not coming with a mindset of feeling like you need to be encouraged either. Um, what are ways we are able to show love to others in our church? And some of that may, may go hand in hand, but what are some ways that we are able to show love to others in our church? Anything that we haven't already discussed that you can think of? I think just being intentional with how we come into the Sunday service. Uh, it's not here to be necessarily entertained, but to become willing and intentional to reach out, have conversations, see how each other are doing. Yep, Tyson talks about coming intentionally on Sundays, not just for what you're going to get from the service, but coming with a desire to give back on Sundays. Um, when I pray with the, the kids um, on Saturday nights before we go to bed, I always pray for our conversations that we're going to have and the interactions that we're going to have with people. And we've set expectations for Abram and AJ even within the nursery. Lauren's very good about talking about, hey, I want you to make sure that you're hanging out not just with the friends that you're really close to, but that you include people that are maybe visiting or maybe people that, that don't have the same depth of fellowship as you have with some of these other friends. And so we pray with our kids. We pray that they'll come with an intentional mindset of spending time with people in the nursery and just being an encouragement and including people. And, and that's certainly true for Lauren and I, that whoever we get the chance to talk to on Sundays, we want to be an encouragement with our words. We want to try to seek out different opportunities to talk to different people. Um, but, you know, kind of going along with the first question, certainly serving within the nursery, um, coming to accountability groups, coming to C groups, prioritizing the events that we do. Ms. Carolyn? great and, and I think Anna helps champion that and, and helps lead the way a lot of times um, obviously I'm here most Sundays and so I don't always reap the benefits but even when Ben and I were out and Andrew were out for Uganda like Anna's texting us on our trip telling us that we're missed here on Sunday I mean I know she's always faithful to identify people that aren't here text to find out where they are um, encourage them about them not being here and how they're missed and so I know a lot of y'all have kind of picked up even on that attitude and have been able to um, do that even throughout the week with people that aren't here. And we can transition into that third question, who makes you feel loved in this church and why? And so this is a great chance for you to kind of praise some other people within our church that, that do specific things that um, are an encouragement to you and help you feel loved and appreciated and connected within this church and Maybe by you sharing what someone else is doing, it helps spur somebody else on to maybe doing some of those things towards somebody else too. So several purposes in discussing this question, but anybody with some thoughts on people within this church that are specifically showing love and encouragement? Uh, this may not immediately come to mind, but I know that there's anything that we need, you know, coffee-wise, anything, water, paper towels, anything that we need. Ben and Andrea are really good about supplying everything we need. Um, for our church, and they're of course in the nursery right now, but they just, uh, their whole attitude is service, and I appreciate that. Oh. <coughs> Tyson on Sunday mornings makes us always feel welcome and love, like you said, being intentional. Yep. Yeah. 
others that you might feel compelled to highlight today? Say, Denise, if she's organizing that bucket brigade and helping people, uh, you know, getting people together to help, you know, Sarah or Miss um, Carolyn last last year, we just get together and two or three of us and, and, uh, and just kind of straighten out work from your own house. Yep. Yep. Denise has done a great job with that. to go with us on Thursday nights a lot to eat um, all you can eat wings at uh, Mike and C's and I think probably the last four weeks I've asked them if they wanted to go and each time Alex has had either um, Luke or who else are you meeting with? Philip. Every time he said no I've got discipleship tonight with one of those guys and it's just been back to back weeks where he's been giving up time on Thursdays to spend with those guys we certainly appreciate the time and effort that Alex Topi and, and Rachel are giving to um, those within our um, youth-aged section of our church. Others that, that maybe stand out to you? I'll just a little bit, um, of course, because you know, I don't know about Alex and Toby, but um, just with Juju being kind of a, uh, the only girl her age, and, you know, everybody's, you guys as elders, and especially Rachel, um, just making her feel special and, and trying to figure out ways to, because it is a unique situation that there aren't any girls here, but just making her feel like she is included and that she is important, just trying to even, just by brain, we might not even have answers all the time yet, but just making sure that I know that you guys are looking out, that we know that you're looking out for her, and just specifically for Rachel, who, you know, comes, um, you know, and just checks on Gigi, and they spend time together, and she's working all day and just you know, I don't know I wanted to go home if I were doing that just that she can come and mm. take Gigi somewhere and, and we'll get to do that together just means a lot to me you know and what's great is that we haven't asked them specifically to hold to a certain schedule or anything like that that's just been stuff that they've been motivated to do on their own in fact I think at our deacons meeting on Wednesday night, we were talking and talking about our youth and making sure they were taken care of. And I think Maggie was a, pulled up on her phone and said, I think Rachel's with Juju right now, based on what I can see. And so it was just super encouraging. Yeah, yeah, she did. She pulled it up. She's like, uh, Rachel's over with Juju right now, um, hanging out with Juju. So it was just really cool to see because we hadn't asked. And, and we weren't even, Rachel doesn't even like keep us informed necessarily. Like, hey, I did this. Hey, I did this. Y'all need to know what I'm doing. Like, we don't always even know what they're doing. And so to even that night, like we were kind of like, you know, is Rachel spending the same time during the week? And Maggie's like, yeah, she's, she's right there with Juju tonight even. And so just super encouraging to see what they're doing on their own initiative. Um, it is really cool to see the investment they're making. Yep. Even know that I wasn't here, but just, you know, that 
to me has been super encouraging being able to teach the kids and how much they um, encourage me and how much I would because <laughs> they just come prepared a lot and are invested in it and really want to learn so you guys <laughs> And I would encourage you, as you're feeling these things about people in our church and, and what you see them doing, that you acknowledge it and that you call it out and you, you commend them for that. Because oftentimes someone can be doing something out of love and then they fall into a, a season where they feel very underappreciated and maybe they continue to do it, but the, the love and the motivation and the desire begins to wane a little bit and then eventually they just stop doing those things. And, and while they shouldn't be fueled by our commendation for what they do it certainly can help someone continue to press on maybe through a dry season even in their life and so um, I would encourage you to 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 see those things going on in people's lives and to 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 encourage them and to um, commend them for some of that effort and what we've done sometimes on application Sundays is we've tried to identify people that have done that within our church from a um, from a corporate sense and um, so I've got some gift cards that I'll give out at the end of the service but um, certainly Dave and what he does with our podcast is just a, uh, a huge thing and, and he took that on and he continues to do that each week and we don't always draw attention to the effort that he puts into it. He goes even far above and beyond even what I ever intended for our podcast to be. I mean, he's very intentional about going back and editing out uh, uh, silent space where if somebody's talking and it doesn't get picked up, that he'll cut that out so somebody doesn't have to listen to um, silent time on the podcast if they're listening at home and so he's always looking for better ways to, to get our podcast out there and to make it more clear and more effective and so um, I'm always encouraged by Dave and what he's doing in that aspect and then um, not only does Anna um, faithfully keep track of people that aren't here and encourage them she's always tirelessly working on Sundays after the service making sure that things are picked up and cleaned up and, and always does that without being asked to do it. I don't think we've ever officially asked her to be the person that does that. She just saw a need and began to do that. And so I want to publicly praise her again for how she does that each week. And then for Sarah and the time and attention and detail she gives to our nursery schedule and how she continues to pump out schedules, even knowing that she's going to have to make all kinds of changes to the schedule after she's worked it out. Um, and she continues to do that faithfully. And so I want to draw attention um, to that faithfulness too. So Ephesus, a church like us, I think, that strong doctrinally, and they were very busy doing a lot of things, but if they weren't careful, they were going to fail as a church because they were going to grow tired and weary of some of those things because they had lost their love. And so I want to encourage us once again, as we did that Sunday talking about Ephesus, that we be a church that continues to be busy with things, but to make sure that we're doing it out of love and that we help encourage others in the things that they're doing um, so that they continue to do those things out of love as well. Uh, we talked about Smyrna. Does somebody want to read for us Revelation 2, 8 through 11? Okay. To the church in Smyrna, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died in the life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have to do it. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. 
All right, we said the, this church reminds us that we should find comfort by looking to the second life when faced with trials and persecutions. This church is committed for their perseverance. There's no real weaknesses that are addressed by Jesus uh, with this church. They're, instead, their call to action is to be encouraged for doing right and to prepare to endure even more suffering, that even greater suffering was to come. Again, they weren't promised that they were going to escape anything. Instead, they were told to prepare for, for even worse things that are to come and the implication is, is that some of you are going to die in the midst of that greater persecution. And they're reminded that they're going to eat of the tree of life one day if they um, persevere to the end. We talked about from an application standpoint that uh, we're to pray for those suffering around the world. We're to prepare now so that whenever it arrives, we do not wilt. We're to identify any compromises we've made to avoid persecution now. And uh, number four, we're to endure general trials now, realizing it could be far worse. The application question I wanted us to kind of reflect on just briefly is what are ways we could prepare now for potential future suffering what are some ways that we could prepare even now even though we don't experience a lot of persecution here in this country what are ways that we could get prepared for it if it were to come in the near future any thoughts on that I was thinking the other day about how important it would be to memorize scripture uh, we put a lot of emphasis on all the stability of the internet and apps and different things like that and I think even at school and our kids like being in the word is going to a digital thing but it is something that could so easily just stop working mm-hmm. um, and so in especially in an avenue where persecution becomes reality all the more reason to, to have scripture in us and through us right yeah memorizing scripture in case that's ever taken away um, and it's no longer easily accessible as it has been certainly a a way to prepare for that. Other thoughts on how we can prepare if persecution were to come? Yep. I think kind of with what Tyson was saying, I think during the time where we're not enduring as much persecution, making sure that we have a firm grasp on kind of our theology of of, of God and persecution and suffering, because I feel like it's probably like harder once you get in the midst of it to try to figure that stuff out and to fly than if you really really know what you believe about it in these times. Mm-hmm. Yep. One of our, our family worship questions from that week was what are some things you would want your kids to know if you could look into the future and see that in the next 10 years persecution was going to increase. So there's certainly truths from scripture that we would want to reflect upon properly now to prepare for that I was just getting great on the game, but that's what I was thinking is to not not be surprised when it happens to teach ourselves to train ourselves to be basically expected that way we can set our minds on things about our own in this world. Things in this world are temporary and Right. Yeah, we certainly want to work towards persecution and tribulation not being a surprise to where we're caught off guard. Uh, one thing that I was thinking on is how we can we can be so much more faithful than we are currently to apply what Philippians talks about of, uh, in regards to not grumbling and complaining about our circumstances. Um, I, I hear so much grumbling and complaining within like the student body at Trinity, uh, but even like with our with our faculty there, um, our. Our uh, staff book for next year is going to be in, in uh, regards to that theme of not complaining um, because 
there's a lot of things that we complain about and that we grumble about that would be so far from what so many Christians endure on a daily basis where they're at. And that not, that's not to minimize some of the things that we go through, but there's oftentimes things that we are so underappreciative of and things that we find reasons to complain about um, that I think just working towards applying the, the passages about being content and not grumbling and complaining about our circumstances, to master those now when, when we don't have a lot of reason to grumble and complain, that's certainly going to go a long way to prepare us in times where it would be very easy to grumble and to complain and to resent our circumstances when pressure is really being applied for our faith. Um, but I think we've, we've developed habits that I'm sure all Christians fight against no matter what their circumstances are. But certainly in a, in a culture where we don't have that much to complain about, we can oftentimes be very uh, guilty of complaining and grumbling and um, believing that our circumstances are these great trials and difficulties when it, it just wouldn't compare to what maybe 10 years from now could look like here if persecution were to increase. So um, that was one way that I was even thinking about in my own life is to identify the times when I'm prone to complain and grumble and to, to fight against those and to confess those and to repent of those times um, so that if things get worse, I'm better prepared to handle those things. All right, um, we talked about Pergamum last week. Uh, Revelation 2, 12 through 17. Would somebody like to read that for us? Yeah, I'll read it. All right. And to the angel of the church of Pergamum write, The words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. <clears throat> Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak, who puts a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. All right, from a summary standpoint, we said even though a church may be faithful in many things, failing in a few things demands the repentance and the action of the church if a faithful witness is to be maintained and Jesus' judgment is to be avoided. Um, and this is certainly the case here with this church. I mean, you would start off thinking this church has nothing to be ashamed of. They're a church that's been faithful. In fact, they've had church members, members that have died for their faithfulness. And so you would certainly think that that's all that would be needed to be mentioned about this church. And yet Jesus says, I have a few things against you. Specifically, there were some issues with uh, sexual ethics and Christian liberty that Jesus identifies as weaknesses of this church. And he calls them to repent or Jesus is going to come and judge those actions, right? A little bit different than the threat that Jesus gives to Ephesus. Jesus just says, your church is going to kind of cease to exist with Ephesus. And that makes sense because if you have people who are, are not loving the things that they're doing anymore, they don't love rightfully the things that they're doing, they're just going to stop doing them. And so that church will just cease to exist. But here, Jesus talks more about really coming and stepping in and bringing judgment 
upon this sin that's not being repented of. Um, and so that certainly gives us caution and should give us caution to step back and to kind of think through personally for ourselves, have we compromised in any of these areas in such a way that we've become sinful and a stumbling block to others? Now, I don't know if there's necessarily any issues with Christian liberty within our church. Um, I, don't, I don't personally know of any abuses that are taking place in that area. There certainly may be in closed quarters where where someone is allowed some type of uh, freedom in Christ, some type of use or, or participation in something to become a, a sinful act for them. Um, I know within our accountability groups, especially uh, within our um, men, that there are still people fighting for sexual purity. Um, and that fight needs to be ongoing. That fight needs to be something that we're regularly um, attacking as an accountability group and there needs to be regular repentance that's happening when failure is occurring um, and, and, the, and the strong encouragement here is that if it doesn't get worked out, if it doesn't get fixed if there's not an intentional group effort even because the people that weren't guilty of these things were still held accountable because they were tolerating the behavior they weren't participating in helping get rid of it they were just kind of casual bystanders letting these things happen. And so we all have a role, we all have a place within this. That we're, we're, we're set up with accountability groups to help each other fight against abuses in the area of Christian liberty and certainly in the area of sexual ethics. That we're calling our single people to purity. That we're calling our married people to purity. Alright? Um, and that's where we kind of left off last week. And so um, I've, I've really enjoyed our study up to this point. I'm excited about where we've, we're going still with the remaining churches. Uh, I'm hoping that you're seeing Jesus as the focal point of all of this discussion. That he starts off as the focal point in Revelation 1. He's the, the author and the, um, the writer of Revelation 2 to all of these churches. And there's such a strong call to purity and to love and to endurance in the face of persecution. And that's certainly what we desire um, for ourselves here as a church too. Um, I want to draw your attention to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As we always do with our application Sundays, we want to use this as an opportunity um, to partake of the Lord's Supper. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you'll remember last week we talked about how the church at Corinth had both of these issues addressed, right? Like, Jesus has to address their Christian liberty, um, that they had become abusive in the area of meat and the offering of meat to idols and the participation that they were having with culture in some of those areas. And then Jesus also had to address their sexual ethics, that they were tolerating um, impurity within their church and they were allow allowing it to stay and to remain. And it served as a poor example and a poor... Um, uh, path for someone else who may be watching how the church was responding to this and it was potentially a stumbling block for others to fall into this type of behavior and within that context Jesus uh, or Paul uh, under the authority of Jesus and the Holy Spirit leading him writes about the Lord's Supper and the role of that eating and drinking within that church that um, he addresses the, the meat and the offering of meat to idols because there was and eating and a drinking that took place in the pagan temples that was very spiritual in nature, and why that was not something that a Christian should probably engage in. And then he turns his attention to the type of eating and drinking we do as a church, and the meaning of it, and why we partake of it. And in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord 
what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And for those that are visiting with us this morning, just to to remind you so that we're all on the same page about the Lord's Supper here, we believe that the Lord's Supper, uh, that communion is an opportunity for us to remember and to proclaim the work of Jesus Christ. And so as we gather to apply the word, what we are essentially saying again as Christians is that we, um, we are saying yes to Jesus and no to the things of this world and no to sin by partaking of the bread and the, and the juice. The bread representing Jesus' perfect life, that he came to be our Savior. He came in obedience to the law. He came and lived in such a way where he could be that perfect sacrificial lamb for us. But Jesus, not only being perfect, takes upon us the sin and the, the judgment that we deserve by going to the cross and absorbing God's wrath, shedding his blood so that we can be forgiven of our sins. And the, the implication even in how Paul talks about this is that Jesus overcame that death, right? That we don't just remember, this isn't just a memorial service where we remember our Savior who lived and died. The idea here is that we do this until Jesus comes back because he is a living Savior. He is a resurrected Savior. He's the Savior that we're talking about in Revelation. He's the Savior that we long for to come back. And so by partaking of the Lord's Supper this morning, we're not uh, doing so in order to save ourselves Instead, we're reflecting upon the fact that Jesus has done all that's necessary to save us. And really, I believe that partaking of the Lord's Supper is meant to be an encouragement to others because essentially we are all standing in unity saying yes to Jesus once again. I think it's the way that we get to reaffirm our salvation publicly. We're going we're gonna to baptize today, and that's, that's meant to be a one-time event in the life of a believer, that we're to repent of our sins and to be baptized as a, as a proclamation to others that we have changed sides that we're no longer of this world. We're now a member of the body of Christ. And then this ongoing participation in the Lord's Supper where we get to stand with other believers and say yes to Jesus. Yes, I'm a believer. And yes, I'm ongoing in my salvation. I'm fighting sin. And I'm looking forward to the day that Jesus returns. And so uh, I'm going to give you some time to reflect. Tyson's going to come and lead us in, um, in a time of singing as well. And we want to give you a chance to pray and to spend time reflecting and um, in, in, in a time of personal worship and as you feel led and as you feel comfortable to dismiss yourself to the back to partake of the Lord's Supper um, we do this in unity um, we want to do this in a worthy manner which means that um, we do it confessing an attitude that yes um, I'm, I'm, I'm desiring Jesus in my life it doesn't mean that you only partake if you had a good week this week it doesn't mean that if you haven't sinned in a while you get to partake what it means is that you confess that you're a sinner and you're confessing that it's not your good works that fixes it all. It's Jesus. And so we invite all believers to partake this morning. Whether you're a, a member of Sovereign Hope or not, you're invited to partake if you're a believer. Um, and so we encourage you to do so after you spend some time reflecting and praying as well. Let me lead us um, to prepare us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for allowing us to, to reflect upon that this morning. God, I pray that we would be faithful to apply in some of these points that we've talked about, that we would be doers of the word. And God, we thank you that Jesus was certainly a doer 
as he acted in obedience to what you called him to be for us. Father, we're thankful that Jesus came. We're thankful that he lived a life that we were never capable of living. We're thankful that you have made a way of escape from your justice. Father, we're thankful that Jesus comes as our perfect sacrifice. We're thankful that he died on the cross and shed his blood so that we could escape your wrath. Father, we're thankful that we can face death with hope. That we can face death knowing that a resurrected Jesus has become the pattern that we look forward to. The day that we also defeat death once and for all through the work of Jesus Christ. Father, we're looking forward to the day of resurrection when believers that have gone before us, loved ones that we're separated from, will return with Jesus and we see that death defeated again. We thank you that Jesus is the first fruit of that victory. We're thankful that he is bringing with him the keys to death and Hades one day so that we can all escape death. Father, I pray that as believers this morning, we take in an attitude of unity, that we take confessing that we are still saying yes to Jesus, that the gospel is still ringing true in our life, that our salvation uh, experience, our testimony is still true of us today. And we're thankful that when you started that work in us, you were faithful to finish that work. God, I pray that we'd be encouraged by partaking of it this morning together. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.